Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today's another fantastic day for an interview. And this particular guest that I've got on today, I have hunted her high and low for the better part of a year and then some. But somehow our lives never really allowed us to come together. So I'm actually quite excited here. It is just, it shows perseverance pays out and just showing up is beautiful. That's, that's, that's 80% of winning is showing up. So here we go. We both persevered and here we are. I've got Pamela Bonacera with me and it is an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Hi, Pamela. I nice to, nice to speak with you as well. Uh, uh, it was we both have had fascinating lives uh, for all the wrong reasons. Um, so and that is weird. And here we are today, laughing about it and and being being outspoken, coming onto a show and simply talking about our lives. Now that is a a long, long, long way from where we both have come from so maybe it's it's worthwhile let's go back to maybe simpler times when you were a little girl who did you want to be when you grow up or what did you want to be I actually wanted to be I've wanted to be a mother my whole life oh I always wanted to have children and I wanted to be a mother and a wife and you know the stereotype and you know picket fence and all right <laughs> is that is that from your culture yeah, Pamela Bonacera. I mean, that is that is a beautiful, so Mediterranean. Uh, what is your background? Um, I'm actually Italian and Irish. Oh. And um, and and my mother was the reason why I wanted to be a mother uh-huh. because I loved being, you know, with my mom and working in the kitchen and doing what moms do. What my mom didn't do that I'm doing is my mother didn't have a career. And and a family with it. She was strictly a stay-at-home mom. And but I learned I learned so much from that. I learned so much from my mom. Uh, pasta making was. I'm sorry. Do you like your pasta? Uh, is that is that a stereotype that you subscribe to? Um, I didn't really subscribe to it. No. <laughs> I, I love to cook and so it was it is uh it is beautiful pasta making is such a such a coming down into the to into nearly a zen mode and and playing with the pasta and with the dough etc mm-hmm. so therefore I'm, I'm just sort of thinking hey you know what was your youth like um with that because ultimately italian families are typically large irish families mm-hmm. are typically large so therefore I'm, I'm trying to get an idea how did you grow up um, actually, I'm the youngest of five girls in my family. So oh, there was wow. always chaos in my family, always <laughs> something going on. But it, but what's interesting about that is we always came together on Sundays and we always sat together on Sundays with a big meal in the family and, mm. and we could share, you know, the stories of the week. And that was something that was very important mm. for me to, to bring down the line. And we actually always ate dinner together as, as a family um, once I had children of my own. Mm. And and it was wonderful because that's where you got caught up in the day. And that's where you found out what happened. And that's where everything was put on the table. And and it was great. It was it was great. And then the kids got lives and, <laughs> you know, were involved in all of that. But, you know, I... I was more involved with my kids than my mother was with me. So I took something from my past and I moved it into my children. And that is something that was so important to me, always being there, always being involved. Mm. How old are your kiddos? uh, My oldest is 28. My middle son, my oldest is a boy. My middle son is uh, 21, going to be 22. And my youngest baby girl is 20, going to be 21. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, and we are actually not so so different there. My boys are, are 19 and 21. So about mm-hmm. ballpark, same ballpark there. Mm-hmm. Now, we both had maybe not such nice backgrounds with regards to our families. And there's certainly, with hindsight, there's probably far more trauma there uh, in my life than I care to admit. Um, yeah. how did that pay out for you? 
there was all this picket fence, which is the picture that you want to portray. But what was the reality like? Um, I actually lied to myself for a lot of years about the picket fence that I thought I had in my backyard and, and the whole nine yards. And I convinced myself for a lot of years that, you know, my married life was great and that everything was going to work out. And, you know, it was just going to work out one day. And it's not really how it panned out. Um, not at all, as a matter of fact. Um, but I, first traumatic as it was, that had to happen for me to get where I am today. Absolutely. If, if it was still the way it was, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. It all had to happen hmm. to, to come and, to where I am. When children grow up in chaotic lives, uh, they, often, they often escape into their reality before they can escape into alcohol and drugs and other things later on. Were you a very imaginative child? Um, yes, I blocked a lot out and I made my own story uh -huh. when I was a child. Um, and I would always, my, I, I come from a lot of dysfunction. I think most people that go the path I did do, but I, I mean, there's dysfunction in every family, I believe. It's uh -huh, just... Yeah. How much of it do you bring to the table? Um, Although you could I, argue that on the table, if it is on the table, then actually at least people can deal with it. But often correct. it is such an underlying chaos of current. It is like, mm -hmm. like muddy waters. And from now and then a shark comes out and takes a bite. And you think, what the hell? Right. And that is, that is, you know, the chaos that, that yeah. describes family life in so right. many circumstances. Yes. Very uh, much so. How, so how did you do your younger self deal with that? Um, well, I dealt with it by drinking. <laughs> when did you start? Uh, I was 13 when I had my first drink. Okay. And I liked it. And I Immediately. Liked it. Can you remember I it? I did. I do. Uh -huh. I remember what I drank. I remember where I was sitting. And I remember how it made me feel. Uh, I what, remember it. What happened? I got all warm inside and I went, oh, this is a great way to feel. Mm. And then I, it wasn't that I got numb, but it was that everything just kind of relaxed. Like the turmoil that was going on inside me just relaxed. And mm. there was always turmoil. Mm. Um, my parents didn't get along when I was growing up and um It was just that, like, I can look back at it now and say, I know exactly why I did what I did, mm. you know, however, it was, again, it was mm. my choice to take that first drink. Mm. Um, so, you know, was I looking for an escape? Probably not. I just wanted to see how come the adults mm. drank and mm. they had so much fun and laughed and carried on. Mm. Um, I wasn't a happy person generally when I drank, like my true emotions then started to come out. Ah. That wasn't very pleasant. Ah, interesting. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That See, that only ever happened later on in my life. I certainly remember that alcohol in its own right initially, ah, oh, it just, my inhibition went away. My, there was no longer the pressure that I put on myself or that mm -hmm. I felt came from around me from my circumstances. And it was really a sound effect, like, oh, that was the sound effect that was associated with my drinking for a long time. It was mm -hmm. a beautiful feeling. And I remember the first time that I really felt, whoa. And it was really lunchtime in a German beer garden. Most beautiful setting. It was August. It was hot. Uh, we were sitting under this huge oak. And it was beautiful. I had two friends with me. We had this large stein, which is a liter of beer as a measure. And mm -hmm. uh, it was just, I had one of these liters and suddenly I felt the world just becoming nice. And mm -hmm. the laughter that came out of me seemed to echo from around the world. And the, it was just, it was a beautiful feeling. And mm -hmm. that was, keeping in mind, I had prior to that, I had five years of quite 
a lot of trauma due to a, a gang assault and, and due to other things that happened in my life. So I had lived a very dark life. And then mm -hmm. suddenly there was this alcohol and this innocence that could come mm -hmm. out. And that was beautiful. And the reason we say it, I say that is because whenever we sort of talk about alcohol, you get this stereotype, alcoholic, yeah. It's sort of, you, you imagine whatever you imagine in your head, typically down and out, maybe even homeless and, and a wreck. And yeah, unfortunately, some of us, many of us do end up there. Um, mm -hmm. Many of us don't. Many of us, I mean, I ended up a high-functioning alcoholic, however high-function that was. I mean, you could say this is an oxymoron, high-function and alcoholic. Let's say we didn't end up in jail. We didn't end up with, with something really nasty, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but you don't have to be down and out. But when you then go back in time, there is typically trauma. There is typically a darkness. And the alcohol mm -hmm. serves a beautiful purpose because mm -hmm. the hell that you have been in or that you perceive that you're in suddenly mm -hmm. is no longer as brutal. And that is, that is that. So you had that at a very early stage. So age 13, mm -hmm. um, what happened then? So that was your first drink that day. What happened then? Um, you know, and, and it, it didn't become an every day or every weekend thing. It was like way spread out. I remembered right. that. And then probably when I was like 16, my parents then were separated and they, they were going to get divorced mm. and you know here I am 16 and now I'm drinking at home on weekends oh, um, my, okay. my my mom wasn't around um she she would go spend time with my aunt on the weekends or what and they did whatever they did but mm. uh it, it was like between 16 and 18 I like kicked it into gear mm. and and then I, I graduated from high school we moved to a different area so and, and then I was going to start college and it was like yeah game on um, you know, I could go, you know, I wasn't old enough to drink, but I would get served. I mean, you're a beautiful <laughs> woman for crying out loud as if you had any trouble getting anywhere alcohol. Come on. So I, I, well, I didn't. And then, uh, you know, it, I, I would go out with my cousins and uh, I would start and, and then I started skipping school. I was in uh, college. I started skipping school and uh, I was in a hurry to graduate with my associate's degree just to get out of college. And I ended up failing class because I went to the bar instead of going to class and I was put on academic probation. Hmm. And then I had to pay. I had to pay out of my pocket <laughs> to take the next class so I could graduate. And, <laughs> and I mean, and it was just, it was a disaster. And I never looked at it and said at that point and said, I think you have a problem with alcohol because I never thought that, you know, Back when I was 21 or 22, uh, you know, it was like, this is just what everybody did. But I made it like, it was like a college class for me. It's like, yeah, social, socializing 101. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. And you were the best at class. Yeah, I can remember uh -huh. that. Okay. I, cre I created my own. It's uh, like, yeah, socializing 101. Um, did other tracks play a role then? Uh, was that a, no. uh, what about Mariana or, or any other party pills around that time? Nope. I, I never touched a pill until I was 45. All right. Cool. Yep. Okay. And there's, there's a blessing in that, um, to yeah. a certain degree. You, it's so much easier to deal with one addiction compared with if you're already spreading your wings as far as you mm -hmm. can reach and anything that, that goes, goes in there or in there or wherever mm -hmm. you go. Um, yeah. good. Now that was a blessing there. Um, yep. the alcohol, what alcohol out of interest did you drink? What tickled your I, fancy? I liked crown whiskey. Ah, whiskey girl. But so, I started with beer, and uh -huh. then I started doing beer in a shot, and then I just went straight to the... <laughs> See? I mean, it got to the point when I was older that uh -huh. I couldn't clean my house without a double shot on ice. Mm. I mean, it was like, that's how, that that's where I was. Um, mm. and, and, you know, and... and I never envisioned myself as this alcoholic because, you know, like you said, you were I was still functioning. Mm. I, I, I didn't know what functioning well was until after 
on the other side. <laughs> did you did you enjoy a certain culture around a whiskey? Like for example, wine tasting. Um, I I knew my wines. I was yeah, oh yeah, that's a nice Chardonnay. Oh, a little bit buttery. Oh, Gewürztraminer. Yeah. So I knew my way around them. For you, it mm -hmm. was just okay. Alcohol, cool. Yep. Okay. I'm, but I mean, but I like a specific kind of whiskey, and yeah. I would go out of my way to get it. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Did you shop around so that it was not so obvious that? Every every day you were buying a bottle of whiskey. Nope, I didn't care if they saw me. <laughs> Excellent. I, didn't care. <laughs> See? I, See? I just didn't. <laughs> I was full time hiding. Honestly, I would drive to every single supermarket and drive around looking for the special offers, kind of blah blah. In in reality, I tried to avoid. I tried to avoid the same cashier in the in the supermarket to just not be so obvious that I carried 18 bottles of wine for the weekend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I will tell you this. When I was, before I hit the whiskey stage, yeah. I would go to the same distributor for beer every Friday uh, and I would pop my trunk. They knew how much to put in and I'd pay for it. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't care. Uh, I didn't care. Uh, I didn't care. See, I was it I didn't care or was it actually that you... Um, I want to say prided yourself on it, but there is a certain belief that system that that you say, hey, look, I, I can hold my liquor. Ah, that kind of thing. Was that happening? <laughs> yes, that was it. Okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is all for me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you make yeah. you make jokes about it. Uh, you know, how do you call um, a meal without wine breakfast? Um, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, things like that. And yeah. I can remember as far back as, as a university, uh, I was proud that in my house, there will never be no alcohol. And I, uh, being, being a host in Germany is actually quite important. So there is mm -hmm. the, I was very social friends came around, etc. And I was always the host and I always had alcohol. I had a little okay. bar there and it was all actually nice. And initially, mm -hmm. there was some culture around that. Needless mm -hmm. to say, that culture went down the train later. <laughs> later on, <laughs> just give me anything, okay? Um, oh, I got I got to that point too. Mm. Didn't matter what it was. Yeah. Indeed, uh, goodness. So initially, alcohol is your friend, and it mm -hmm. clearly helped you. Um, when did you get an inkling that maybe, just maybe, um, alcohol was no longer such a happy bed partner? Well, it would have been a front, and I can, I'm specific on this because I remember the day I knew it was a problem. I woke up for work on a Friday morning and I opened my refrigerator and I saw the alcohol and I went, I think I'm going to call off today and stay home and drink all day. And I went, what are you saying? You know, like I did a double take and I went, oh, hell to the no, you're going to work today. And I went and it was that weekend, my life changed forever. Cool. I ended up, I ended up, um, I caused a scene when I was out for Halloween here. Um, I wrecked my car. Alcohol was involved and I, I, I didn't hurt anybody. I, uh. I, I hit a tree. And I drove my car home, and then I was told, if you don't figure it out, you're going to lose the kids. Who told you that? My ex-husband said to me, if you don't figure it out, you're going to lose the kids. And that was all it took. Whether or not it actually would have come to fruition, it was at that point I made a phone call to a friend of mine whose boyfriend was involved with alcohol recovery and i said yeah. i need help how cool is that but i mean there's more to that story um oh, there's because a lot more oh hell yes <laughs> I, I i know a lot a bit about you so therefore the the ex-husband is worthwhile to be to be explored because after all the ex-husband you could argue okay you've been drinking so much that you pushed your man away you bad mm -hmm. woman how dare you um it is a bit mm -hmm. more to that story how did you meet your man uh actually i met him in college oh there you I go i met him in i met him in psychology class 
uh, narcissist one-on-one. How did? <laughs> Sorry, who said that? Who said that? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> okay, keep telling. Well, and actually, you know, it's interesting that you said narcissist one-on-one because when I go back in my life, hmm. that was my father as well. Hmm. You know, the first man that I loved in my life mm. was the man that I ended up marrying, you know, so I don't want to say in his defense, but I was very comfortable with that. Mm. That that was the comfort level that I knew didn't matter the chaos that it caused. That was the comfort that I knew. Mm. It's what I grew up with. It's what I was conditioned with. Um, and it was very weird the day that I realized that. I'm sitting in my counselor's office and I'm going, what the hell? I married my father. Wow. Yes. And at that point I was married for 15 years. It wasn't like it just happened, you know, a week ago, you know. A narcissist typically likes to be in control. He likes to mm -hmm. be, um, be putting you in your place, quotation mark. And there is a beautiful sequence of events that plays out. I had some wonderful guests on the show, and one of them described the similarities of uh, falling prey to a narcissist and falling in love uh, at an early stage. And the similarities that play out until mm -hmm. it is too late and you're sort of in the web of the spider. Um, mm -hmm. With hindsight, was there something similar happening to you? Or was that, with hindsight, can you make sense out of your marriage? There must have been a good yeah. time. There must have been a beautiful time. There must have been something there that that made you say yes. Um, well, so we dated and then we broke up and I married my first husband and we got divorced and I ran into my I ran into my ex-husband again mm. and it was like it just blossomed and, and then I got pregnant and here I am repeating my parents marriage now I'm repeating my parents marriage and I'm like but this is going to work you know I I he was he was so good and and still is He's very good at what he does um, for his employment. He is his biggest critic as far as his work goes. Mm. But I admired the the drive that he had. And I had a similar drive, you know, with, with my life and what I wanted to do. And, you know, he took care of everything and he took care of me. I needed him. And that's and that's an operative phrase here. Because when I no longer needed him. It all went away. Interesting. And and I never understood what that was about. You know, like I, I always figured that, you know, he would want less pressure on him. And, you know, I did more on my own and I and I took care of more on my own. But it was when I didn't need him for everything that he went and found somebody that did. Well, that's the that's the miracle of codependency, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. is. Oh, God. You know, it is you two are living like that. And if suddenly then one person actually says, actually, I can stand by myself, then the other mm -hmm. person has only got two chances. <laughs> yeah. In your case, <laughs> he went the other way. Um, yeah. Blessing. In I mean, as, devast as devastating as that was. I, I thanked him for showing me that I, you know, for for doing everything that happened because I knew I could do it, but he didn't think I could. And he told me that I never thought you would be able to do this on your own. I thought you would always need me. Wow. So interesting. He had the insight mm -hmm. and he obviously cherished that the submissive. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. My little, my mm -hmm. little wife, Pat, Pat, Pat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God. Uh, um, no, no, it is, but it is, uh, it's so easy 
to when we spell it out in these terms for everyone to say, oh, how dare you, oh, not how dare you, how can you, you must have seen that, etc. Yet I love it that you say I married my father, because obviously there was so much more you have learned at a very early stage, um, how a man is supposed to behave, how a man is supposed to, to carry himself, what is normal, what is not normal. And however these rules are, they are laid down at a very early stage. And if you never challenge them, if you never actually explore what these rules are, they will drive you a car for the rest of your life. You don't know, you maybe can change the, 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 the steering wheel a little bit, but you're still mm -hmm. aiming the same direction. And that was exactly what you what you experienced with your, uh, with your second husband there. Mm -hmm. Did he drink? He did. He was a professional. <laughs> yep and that's that's so typical isn't it um mm -hmm. were there attempts where one of you tried to cut back or maybe tried to stop um he didn't have a problem and i did so he tried to moderate my drinking for me <laughs> priceless <laughs> okay <laughs> no comment but but, but interestingly enough he was always happy when he drank. I was not. I was angry that he was happy when he drank because that's not how I felt when I drank when I was with him. I wasn't happy when I drank and I was with him because he was always having fun and smiling and laughing. And I was not happy when, when I drank with him. I was happier drinking by myself. I was in my own thoughts in my own head drinking by myself and I was in my own little fantasy world. Who were you in your fantasy world when you were? Oh, trying? I was, I was, I was in my own fantasy world until the hangover kicked in. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but it was just that it was a fantasy world. I had, you know, I had convinced it's amazing what the brain can do. I had convinced myself of so many things that, just were not ever true you know whether it was about my marriage or how well my kids were doing or you know the life <laughs> oh. i was living i mean <laughs> oh god mm. yeah were and, you and then and, and then that, that that like goes a little bit further in the midst of my alcoholism and what i was going through and of course i convinced myself i wasn't an alcoholic my oldest son was then getting involved with drugs and heavy drugs and, 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 and that went a whole different direction. Hmm. So. It's so hard because these things happen. And whilst you yourself are hurting someone else that you in your maybe a little bit morphed mind thought you were looking after is now suddenly going off the rails. Did he blame you? Did he blame you and your husband for new chaos never. that caused him to? Nope. He never blamed either one of us until he went to rehab. And he said, I could blame one of you, both of you, but it was my decision to do what I did. Wow. Wow. Okay. Wow. That is, that takes balls, I must say. Um, I went through a different phase with my youngest son who didn't hold back um, with regards to uh, my contribution to his maybe depression, anxiety, etc. Mm -hmm. And he basically told me that I was a shit dad and that I was never there for him. And regrettably, he's right because I was a workaholic. And then I was an alcoholic, so there's mm -hmm. not too much time to to play daddy. Um, mm -hmm. And whilst I, whilst we did things together, I don't think I was really there for them. There was always mm -hmm. other things happening, and I must I must take that on. So, as part of your making amends later on, unfortunately, you have yeah, to look into the mirror and maybe also shut up and listen to others, to their perception of what has occurred, even mm -hmm. if your own perception is different. Did you have, did right. you have similar experiences? 
Um, I did and I didn't. Like my my younger two kids, um, they saw me more than my older son saw me when I was probably at my worst. And they've chosen to tell me that we don't think you're an alcoholic, but our life is much better now, you know, living with me, because as I got better, they got better. You know, everything around you gets better as you get better. But mm. with my oldest son, um, I, I went through, um, when I had to take him to rehab, um, I was sober three weeks and he asked me to take him to rehab because he couldn't live with me anymore because of everything that was going on with him. I didn't trust him. He was, you know, everything that the addict does. He was stealing, he was lying, he was you know, whatever. So I had actually kicked him out and he found a rehab to go to. And I took him to rehab when he came, I don't want to say he came to, but when he detoxed after three days, he called me and he said, how the hell did I get here? And I said, well, you signed yourself up to go. Yeah. And, and, but all I could do was cry. It's like, I was so worried about what was going on in my life and the chaos that I was yeah. causing in my own life. And all I thought was, you know, I'm dropping him off at rehab and I could have been leaving a funeral home had that all gone a different direction. And I just thank God every day that, you know, that's not what happened. Um, but uh, I, it, it's just been such a whirlwind of events and, and to come out and, and my story's not over yet. I'm not, I haven't hit my landing page yet. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just haven't, I, I know that I haven't, I have so much to offer um, mm. and, and so much that I could teach somebody or if, if they're willing to listen and, and, and that was actually the first time with rehab with my son didn't work. He ended up having to totally change geographically where he was. Mm. You know, we say people, places and things. Um, well, he totally left this place and went to another place. Uh, he, he moved 1,200 miles away um, with the intention of only going for rehab. And he's still there three and a half years later. Yeah. And living a good life, living a clean life. How beautiful is that? But that often happens with a good rehab because you suddenly you're in the right time, the right place, and you finally listen um, to, and then there are people or, or episodes in your life that actually manage to change you and you transform. Mm -hmm. And then it's, as, it's the start of a journey. And mm -hmm. to then be close to a rehab where there may be outpatient programs, where they know you, where they can guide you, where maybe there mm -hmm. is an employment opportunity. Um, because after all, who wants a, a drunk or who wants a, um, an ex-druggy? Well, often enough, there might be something that can be facilitated in mm -hmm. the environment of a rehab facility or the cloud or the, 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 the people who had previously been there. Um, mm -hmm. So I can very much see that, and that certainly had occurred the same in my rehab in here in Auckland. They were an amazing place, and I mm -hmm. I, I credit them with my life. And I must say, yes, there was. Wow, thank you so much that there are such people out there, and mm -hmm. often, and I have to, I keep saying, everyone in my rehab was a druggie or an alky. Um, <laughs> there was a bar, one or two of the doctors. But everyone from the nurse to to any of the counselors to any of the the, the, the um, we had a yoga teacher and she had turned up drunk previously to her yoga sessions and then ended up in <laughs> rehab and then was now running the real yoga stuff like that. Uh, yeah. And you suddenly look around and you see everyone around you has been in your shoes maybe mm -hmm. even even two, three, four years ago, and now they have got their ducks in a row, whilst you got, <laughs> you have got maybe some squirrels that are involved in a rave. <laughs> That's about <laughs> right. this. Yeah. Yep. So, no. so I, uh, wonderful. It's so beautiful to hear that you, that you then got involved. That was, what, six years, seven years ago? That, that... Six, I, my, my sobriety date's November 4th, 2015. 
beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. We, we, we all mm-hmm. have got this beautiful date, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Got mine around yes. my neck uh, on a serenity ah, prayer on the one yeah, side yeah. And, and the date on the other side. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's quite a heavy, heavy metal thing. And I feel it around my neck and it's just, it's comforting. Uh, it, it shows me how far say. I've come. Isn't it? Yes, <laughs> it, it's a little bit different than than the last monkey that hung around your neck. Huh? Ah. <laughs> ah, yeah. It's beautiful. And I'm growing yeah. and I'm changing. And it is uh, there are new challenges coming. There are new hurdles coming, but I wouldn't have it any other way. So mm-hmm. you I think you are pretty much in the same path. Mm-hmm. Um, so, OK, so here we have got Pamela Bonacera. A woman who has gone through chaos, found the alcohol, loved the alcohol, and then uh, found husband, loved said husband. Um, Both decisions didn't turn out so well. Um, Yet, you have changed a lifetime of same old, same old decisions. And... It is amazing. What came first, the separation from your husband or the stopping drinking? Separation from my husband and divorce came first. How did you deal with the divorce? Because there is obviously your life completely fell apart for everything, all your wishes where basically yeah. suddenly you're, you're, someone took a, a, a hammer to the mirror in front of you mm-hmm. and everything was in shards. How did that go? Um, actually, I I went beyond falling apart. It was at that point that I found I found pills that I liked because the alcohol found, didn't do it anymore alone. No, it mm. didn't. And so I found um, benzos, and I liked them. Mm. And I liked it mixed with the alcohol, and <laughs> and. And like I was trying to find the perfect balance that I wouldn't wake up with a hangover. I was such a horrible drinker. I mean, honest to God, I can't even believe I tried to make it a career move <laughs> because I, I was just the horrible one. I was the one that was sick every time I drank. That was me. Oh. And and I still did it every day because I thought this time it'll be different. This time it'll be different. And it wasn't until I realized, and, and it was said to me, you know, you don't have to live your life this way anymore. It took me two years after we were divorced to finally quit drinking. Um, and I just, and for whatever reason, when it was said to me that day, I was ready to hear it. I'm like, I believe you. Take me to where I need to go. And I didn't go to rehab. I just didn't drink anymore. And it was the strangest thing. God did for me what I couldn't do for myself that very next morning. I didn't have a desire to drink. I didn't want to drink. I didn't need it to make me okay. I believed the person that said to me, your life doesn't have to be this way anymore. I said, okay, how can you help me change that? And that was the beginning of the rest of my story. (laughs) (laughs) No, we both ended. Ladies first. Well, that was... That was the first day of the rest of my life, as people say. Exactly. You know, it was like I, it was like the sun came up, and I could see it. It's such a, uh, it's a beautiful story. I couldn't see it then. It is only with hindsight now. Um, it was I was still quite an, an empty shell of a man when I went into rehab, and when I came out of rehab specifically because I was not yet allowed to work. I was still under supervision and people, um, the medical council here in New Zealand looked after me and and made sure that I was getting the right support, et cetera. It meant basically not working. And for Mm -hmm. me, who was a workaholic par excellence, um, I didn't know what to do. I had no clue. I couldn't drink. I couldn't escape into work. It was weird. I, yeah, it was an empty shell. I had no clue who I was. Um, did you come into such a state? Did you, what happened to you? Um, I actually remember 
when I, I was probably sober about a month, six weeks, maybe. And I'm like, who am I? Because I was always, I was always the wife and I was always the mother, but like, who am I without that? Exactly. You know, I'll always, I'll always be their mother, but like, who am I outside of my marriage? Uh-huh. Who am, what, and that was at that point, it's like, well, what do you, what do you want to do? Well, come on, let's figure out what we're going to do. But I, and I'll be honest, I know what I do for work, I do very well. But the the longer I'm I'm in this wonderful recovery program, the more I want to get out there and I just want to, and not that I want to stand on rooftops and say, hey, I'm sober and you can be too. But I just want to get my, you know, I, I want people to know my story and that mm. I I used to be like you, you know, the alcoholic sitting at the end of the bar going, well, I've done this for eight hours today. Now, what am I going to do for the rest of the night? I mean, you know, and and I really wished I could have made drinking a career move. But, you know, but it's like I look at that and I'm like, oh, well, you don't want to do that anymore. But what do you want to do? And 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 like I said, my story's not over yet. I'm not done. So what I'm happened? Who did you become initially? Who um, did you who what did you do? What fulfilled you? The, well, I'll tell you what. I became the best mother I've ever been okay. in the process of all of that. And then I became a student. I went back to college. Cool. Um, I, I, I went back to college. And now I'm an alcoholic in AA. I go six nights a week. I'm a full-time mother. And, and granted, my, my children at that point were probably 11 and 13. And my oldest son was in, in college. Um, and I was a full-time employee and now I'm a full-time college student and I was able to go to school online and it, all of the stars lined up for me. And, and I was told that this would happen, that God will open the doors for you. And I'm here to tell you that it just flowed. It flowed like a smooth river. And I got my education Mm. and I, I, I loved going to school. Like Beautiful. it, it like brought my world together. It's like now, now I'm complete. Okay. So I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to work and I wanted to be the best mom I could be. And it all came together. Now my kids support me. My kids were my number one cheerleaders when I was in college, all three of them. Come on, mom, you can do this. Brilliant. I'm here to tell you that when I graduated, it was the first time I completed something that I wanted to do in many years. Ah. And that's a beautiful thing because we are so, so eaten up by the demons of shame and guilt and, and mm -hmm. the stories that probably you told yourself about you being a failure, you not, mm -hmm. not being anything worthwhile, even to be stuck to the shoe of someone else. Um, mm -hmm. That is, this is the kind of monologue that, happened to me for a very very long time and it still from now and then wants to come out and tell me those kind of mm -hmm. stories um but suddenly you have achieved something there you have yeah. actually done that um beautiful 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 and that is because you you took action and that is because yeah. you showed up showed up in this case to the aa and uh mm -hmm. to your 12-step program which mm -hmm. is beautiful is that i mean you you have got a um a a Italian background. Are you religious yourself? Um, I'm. I'm not religious. Right. Um, I. I'm spiritual, Good. not religious. And so, say, but yeah, same here. I'm not religious at all. But and, and mm -hmm. some people say, ah, oh, AA. That's all God and and Nana and and it's always in a church. And I keep saying, guys, the reason it's in a church because it's cheap. They basically typically don't charge <laughs> the AA and right. uh, just say open the doors and bring 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 everyone in. Uh, mm -hmm. That was certainly those AA meetings that I attended in the past. Most of them were secular. There was no it was no strong religious component. Mm -hmm. So same mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. what what would you tell someone who says I, I can't come to 12 steps because i don't believe in god all you need is to believe in something higher than yourself that's all you need exactly 
And for me, the, I, I stumbled on the God thing. Um, mm -hmm. And then someone told me God actually stands for a group of orderly drunks or mm -hmm. group of druggies. And the moment uh -huh. I, I, I accepted that and I said, oh, okay, I can live with that. Um, mm -hmm. And suddenly uh, reciting the serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity, blah, blah. Um, suddenly that didn't, didn't, didn't irk me anymore. Suddenly mm -hmm. I, I could actually say that prayer. I had been able to jump over that shadow. Um, and yes. that is good. Yes. So guys out there, if you think that, that, uh, that religion should hold you back, maybe because you're from a different religion, Maybe you are a Sikh, uh, Hindu, uh, you come from Islam, or you're a rabbi. It doesn't actually matter. The 12-step program is a beautiful program that is essentially um, there to give you a path, to give you a stepwise, a logical progression to go through, your, through the mess that has accumulated to be your life. And... Mm -hmm. Here you are. It is. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. I've written it in my steps to sobriety. You see the picture oh, there. That picture behind mm -hmm. me there. And it's all about the, the the first part of the book is about the twelve steps where you where I go through them and describe them as a uh, the same approach that you would do with a failed business. Um, mm -hmm. I keep I keep saying if you're, let's say you have got uh, a friend who has got a restaurant and you have got a restaurant. And you mm -hmm. is always brimming and lots of people and everyone loves you. And his, there is no one there. One day he says, look, look, what the hell? I don't know what you're doing. Would you mind coming along and just just, just having a look and, and maybe helping me? You do something that I don't do. What would you do? Mm -hmm. Well, you would probably come across. You would probably sit down in his restaurant, order two, three dishes, look around, get a feel for the menu, get a feel for what's going on, then have a taste of the food, um, go behind the scenes, see what works. You do a powerful and in-depth inventory, see actually what's happening, what are the standard operating procedures, et cetera. Then mm -hmm. you figure out, okay, what kind of works and what doesn't work. You make mm -hmm. some changes. Then uh, you probably want to get some customers back. So you might wish to do some amends. So in, in the sense of you, you, you stand at customers who have been away, maybe mm -hmm. you've got an email list and you say, hey, look, guys, uh, still same management, but new style. And we have changed. Why don't you come back? And as a thank you for being loyal to us, we give you 30% off your, your first bill back. Um, and then suddenly people are coming again and mm -hmm. you think, whoa, that's actually not bad. So maybe you do a quality assurance program, make sure that mm -hmm. you're heading the right way. And then down the line, your friend might very well say, this was such a cool ride. You know what? From now on then, I will start a podcast. Uh, not from now on then, from now on, I will start a podcast or I, a, a local meeting where I help other mm -hmm. uh, restaurant owners to get their shit together. So he's coming full <laughs> circle. Yeah. And that's what we've just described is a 12-step program. Okay. Yes, so, it is. Therefore, it's logic. It makes sense. Okay. So, guys, throw these, these prejudices and these stupid beliefs over there. It is mm -hmm. we are not a God-driven, somehow you need to flatulate yourself there kind of thing. No, that's not. And it is, has nothing to do. Most group or many groups that I know are secular. Um, and it's mm -hmm. one approach that might very well help you. And the big yeah. advantage is there's so many groups out there. So even if you don't gel with one group, because it might go a little bit in a, maybe in a cultural direction that you don't like, mm -hmm. that's cool. There are other groups out there who are very, very different. And yeah. they are typically around the clock. And with Zoom nowadays, you can mm -hmm. be in a Zoom meeting at any one time, 24-7, literally. Mm -hmm. So guys, please, um, if you feel that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, Pamela is the living legend here who's shown that, hey, you know, I've done 30, 40 years of, of a life that I don't like so much. And now mm -hmm. I'm kicking ass and I actually say, okay, I haven't even figured out who I want to be when I grow up. 
but I'm growing up. I'm, I'm doing amazing things. And if Pam and I can do it, and if I can do it, guys, there's a fair chance. Look, look at the two of us. Come on. If we can sort our shit out, maybe you can do it too. <laughs> would you agree, Pamela? I would agree 100%. Yes. <laughs> oh, 100%. goodness. Oh. If you could send a message back to your younger self, what would be the message? Don't wait until you're 50 to straighten it out. <laughs> <laughs> touché, touché. Yeah. But then again, the youth is wasted on the young. Um, so it is, uh, you, you need to go through, through some stupid decisions in order yep. to learn um, what is important in life. And yeah. it is what it is. Yeah, so guys, is. age doesn't make any difference. Uh, in my rehab, the oldest was 75, uh, who a lady who had enough of drinking and went into rehab and got her life sorted. Because she said, hey, look, I don't want it to end like that. Um, mm -hmm. So 75, okay? You, wow. Age is not an issue. Nope. So isn't it? Yeah. No. No, it isn't. Uh, so Pamela, who will be the new you? What are your plans for the next year? Actually, I'm going to keep going on the same path I'm on. Cool. I am. Um, I'm looking to eventually write a book on all of this. Fantastic. You know, what my life was like before and what it's like now. My goal is to help one person solely. Like, mm. I just want to help one other person. And if mm. that person can tell the next person, then I've exactly. got my cycle going. Exactly. Yep. Pamela, you're uh, an amazing woman. Thank you so much for your honesty, for your authenticity, for your humility, for your integrity. All those beautiful, beautiful values that that we at best pay lip service when we're at the throw of the addiction, and which nowadays actually means something. They're like a code of honor for me personally. Mm -hmm. um, taking ownership and living my life to the fullest is a legacy that I want to leave behind. That's what I want to have written on my on my gravestone. Um, it is, you know, we have got we have got the privilege to make choices any one second in time. And you and I in the last few years have made very different choices and we are very happy with them. So maybe the more we can share that Maybe you can leave a little seeds here and there and everywhere. And before mm -hmm. you know it, uh, a new forest is growing, a forest of hope. And yeah. uh, I, liked, I like that idea, actually, that we make this world yeah. a little bit better, one interview at a time, and soon one book like at that. a time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Pamela, thank you so much for coming onto my show. You're an amazing woman. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. And you guys out there, live with passion and look after yourself. Bye. Bye.